Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. No truer words have ever been spoken. Afternoon to all. It is afternoon you know, for us. I just realized, you know, better off you know, with cowboys and lawyers. Yeah. Or even better off with sheepmen than lawyers. <laughs> Welcome to Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with you. Bunker to France. Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest is author Gene Fries. Gene's been on the show many times to talk about many different things. And this particular time, we're going to talk about Hollywood's man of character, Richard Jekyll. And I love the way that book is titled. Uh, yeah. And you know, the thing, too, is there's nothing many about Richard Jekyll. This is true. Oh, David just staggered David Layton just wandered in here, so we got to <laughs> do some rearranging. The homeless guy that stops by the show once in a while. Uh, well, Gene, all right, I got to. Yeah, hey, Bunker. I just got to say it again. Uh, you're fast becoming one of my favorite writers about Western movies because you just and I know this is really not about Western movies; it's about Richard Jekyll. Right. But uh, the information and the depth and the detail and, the, and more than anything else, the clarity of what you're saying, because a lot of that stuff you start to read and you, you, get to, you start to get the writer's opinion and, uh-huh. and you, you don't get into that trap. And I so appreciate that. Well, thank you, Bunker. That and I want to check. I just, I just want to interject that without Sheepmen, we wouldn't have Navajo rugs or saddle blankets. What was that? <laughs> you just remember that. Uh, as far as your book goes, I think it's I think it's apropos. It does him justice and service, um, and I think he was a great actor. And I think he's the epitome of Stanislavski's saying, "There are no small actors, uh, no small parts, just small actors." Right. And uh, this has nothing to do with his height. It's exactly the opposite. He was just a class act, and every time he was in a film, he brought it. Uh, and there's only one other guy that I can ever say that about, uh, and we've talked about it on the show, which was Anthony Quinn. Uh, uh-huh. He always he always brought it. Yeah. Well, you know, no matter that- what everybody else was doing, he brought everything he had. Well, to add to that, too, because we were talking before the show, and I was telling Harry, you know, the only guy I really compare Richard Jekyll to when it comes to the, to the pictures is Jack Elam. Uh-huh. Because they just, both of them are so consistent, they're good. Uh, they may be in a bad movie, but they're not. They're never bad. I, I cannot think of either one of them, and maybe somebody can point one out, but a bad performance by either one in anything. Right. I think one of the words that is often used for Jekyll was professional. Mm-hmm. And he always brought a sense of professionalism and to everything that he did. And you hear a lot of adjectives about him, uh, steady, dependable. And I believe those show up in my book quite a bit. Well, and interestingly enough, today would have been his birthday. October the 10th. That's why we're doing That's the true. show. Well, yes, it wow. is. Yeah. What Happy a birthday. Even, <laughs> even when you see him in, in those TV detective shows, whether it's Mannix mm-hmm. or Barnaby Jones or or uh, Gannon or uh, anything, you know, um, um, any of those shows, he always was there. He was present. And yeah. he gave it. You know, he left it on the... He didn't hold anything back. He get in, and that's not to say that he's shouting and screaming and intense and crying. He left it all on the set. You know, and another, he, didn't, he didn't hold back. There's another thing too about him, which is, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I used Elam as a, as a comparison, but Elam could play the most despicable people, but there was something about uh, Jacob. He was the every man. He was he whether he was a bad guy or a good guy. Right. He was the common man. Mm-hmm. So I guess that begs the question, since lots of people want to go to Hollywood, they want to become actors, actresses, and big stars and whatnot. What 
what? Yeah, like our own David Layton here. He went. Yeah, he's puffing up. And here. we knew him beforehand. <laughs> before the Travel Channel. Yeah, right. Before, before the, the Travel Channel. The yeah. beard, too. Yeah. What, the question begs, though, what does it take to become a character actor? Character. Character, and obviously. Talent. Talent, obviously. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, does one get pigeonholed into that or uh, into that? Uh, uh, the character actor, or is it just something that naturally evolves? I mean, what, what's the? Uh, is there anything behind it? I think in Jekyll's case that it, it was something that evolved because early in his career, he did a pretty well respected uh, part in Comeback Little Sheba mm-hmm. with Burt Lancaster that won him a lot of accolades, and Paramount actually signed him off of that, kind of pumping him up and telling him that he was going to be the next Alan Ladd. So there was some sense of him having the potential to be a leading man. And in a year under contract at the studio, they really didn't use him as anything more than leverage against Alan Ladd. <laughs> that so was a Alan, lot of that. Politics. Yeah, Alan, Alan Ladd was doing a couple pictures there, and, you know, the studio execs would say, you know, if you give us any problems, you know, we can just recast you with this Jekyll guy. And Jekyll didn't care too much for that when he found out what was going on and asked out of his contract. And I think then he just kind of, you know, evolved into, as you say, the character actor, you know, who he was always happy to compliment the bigger people and not have everything riding on his shoulders. Well, you can't have the big actors without the characters. Well, <laughs> right. The other thing, too, is, you know, it was which was his attitude that he really didn't think acting was a very manly occupation. Really? True. And, you know, again, you know, he... he in the beginning, didn't take it that serious. He, you know, when they when they offered him his screen test for Guadalcanal, he's working in the mail room at twentieth, right. and right. and he's, he's, he doesn't he doesn't buy into it. And the producer, in his wisdom, because he's sixteen years old, says, "Talk to your mom about this." And his mom had been an actress, and I think the mm-hmm. I think the, the producer knew mom would sway him. But the whole, right. but that whole if you look at his whole career, he he'd rather be down at the beach surfing. That's true, yeah. and kind of like he, he was one of the first surfers there in Malibu. Yeah, in the mid to late forties, and there were only about a dozen guys surfing the Pacific Coast beaches at that time. Hmm. And uh, oddly enough, one of them was uh, James Arness. Also. Yeah. <laughs> he, he and Jacob were surf buddies, dating back to the late forties. Wow. Yeah, they were they were surfing with the surf legends at the beginning of surfing in right. on the West Coast. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a show unto itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to talk to a couple of guys there too. Uh, Walter Hoffman, who was a big wave surfer mm-hmm. in Hawaii and on the West Coast, and actually his family was kind of behind the Aloha shirt, the Hawaiian mm-hmm. shirt. And he and Jacob were uh, very good diving and surfing buddies. And uh, another surfer from that period named Tim Lyon that I was able to speak to. And it was just a, a treasure trove of stories dating back to the late 40s and the 50s before before the Gidget movies and the Beach Party movies and right. before the beaches really filled up. Pre-Gidget. You know. so, yeah. so, Gene, what was it about Richard Jekyll that attracted you to him to want to write a book? Well, he, you know, I did the Jock Mahoney book, right. and I really enjoyed that, and the people I was able to speak to, you know, so many of the uh, actors and stunt people that I grew up watching, and I started thinking, you know, is there anyone else that I might be able to do, you know, a bio on that had an interesting life? And Jekyll had always intrigued me, because watching him, you know, through the many TV shows and movies, and a lot of people make note of this, was he hardly ever seemed to age. Mm-hmm. You know, he always looked eternally youthful and fit, which I suppose, you know, and my dad, Marty, would always point him out and say, there's Richard Jekyll. You know, he never ages. Yeah. And so I, in the back of my mind, I always thought, well, why is that? You know, and it turned out because he was a beach guy. He surfed. He was went to the gym all the time. And there's a lot of irony in that because the, the son ended up, you know, being his downfall. He right. got skin cancer and died at, you know, the relatively young age of 70, but he also, you know, kind of left behind this, you know, eternally youthful look where we just think of him as, you know, never aging. Kind of like Dick Clark. True. He's been yeah. compared, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, well, you, without the plastic and surgery. Frank, and Frankie right. Avalon. Yeah, and Frankie uh-huh. Avalon, too. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so uh, the thing that Dick Clark and Frankie Avalon had going for them were, was they had uh, darker complexions. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. Jayco was, had a Germanic background, and, you know, the, the skin cancer ended up getting him. Well, you know, you know the thing too is like, well, did he did he know Hobie? I'm sure he did. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Did you talk to him at all, Hobie? No, no, I didn't. I uh, I uh, found an article there where Hobie, you know, mentioned him. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, yeah, mostly. Just, we'll, well, go ahead. Oh uh, no, that's that's fine. Just <laughs> I'll just repeat gonna... the. <laughs> <laughs> go <laughs> ahead. Go ahead. Uh, just uh, Walter Hoffman and Tim Lyon were the main surf guys that I spoke to from from that era but yeah Jekyll knew knew all the all the surf guys and they all you know basically said that they thought of him as a surfer who acted rather than an actor yeah. who surfed well you know I'm kind, kind of like Joel McRae a rancher who acts as opposed to an actor right actor right. Uh, you know I, I kind of wonder too you know when they started doing the surf movies the guys that were writing the scripts uh, were studio guys that hung out on the beach and actually they, they knew what they were writing about, starting mm-hmm. with the Gidget thing. And I'm wondering if any of the characters in the surf movies were kind of based off of him, because they did. They stole they stole from the those guys on the beach. They stole their characters right. from a lot of the mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, that's possible. I never came across, you know, the information of any characters being based on him, but it, it's possible. Well, you know, you mentioned you mentioned him being dramatic. That would segue us into the family. Uh, his dad was from a, uh, I guess his grandfather came over. They was a German, uh, started right. a fur company, had one of the biggest uh, fur company in the East Coast. That's true. Yeah, and then of course his dad. I guess the company expanded to California when the, Richard was in his early, early, early years. And that was uh-huh. his first trip to California, and of course, it eventually killed his dad. Responsibility, but uh, that's a whole that's, different story. But maybe you could go yeah, into his, some of the childhood stuff. Yeah, he um, he grew up on Long Island, and the family had you know big offices and in, in Manhattan, and it's kind of an odd trans you know transition because you think of him as being a very blue collar actor, you know, kind of taking his lunch pail to work and that's what he was but he did have that background that he he didn't really acknowledge it to people he was very much a jock growing up and liked his um you know his buddies who played basketball and football with and went to the beach with and he didn't want them to really know that you know his family came from money and eventually you know they they kind of lost everything through the depression there and the responsibilities as you mentioned is his father ended up committing suicide and Jacob was probably 13, 14 years old at the time. And, you know, that's got to be a heavy blow to a kid of that yeah. age. And I think he just, you know, his outlet was sports. And, you know, his buddies who, and his buddies all called him Jake, too. Yeah. That was his nickname. And actually his, his birth name was R. Hanley Jekyll. His father was Richard Jekyll. And the R didn't really stand for anything. So when his buddies wanted to get under his skin, they'd call him Hanley, yeah. you know, or his mother would call him Hanley. But, you know, pretty much through time, he was Jake, you know, to all of his pals. We all hate our middle names. Liked it. And Hanley was yeah. his mother's maiden name. I know, but we all hate our middle yeah. names. They're pox. What's your middle name? It's uh, Adam. Adam. Mm-hmm. First man. Ad. Yeah. What's your first middle Nothing name? Nothing too I original. I don't, I don't bother with one. Oh, you, you're not gonna <laughs> he won't tell us his middle name. I don't name. bother with one. What is, it's Percy. It's, like my, Harry, like what is my it? age, it's unlisted. It's Percy. <laughs> I know what it is. What's your middle name, Todd? Matthew. Oh, that's... And my mother, my mm-hmm. mother liked it so much, she gave it to my two other brothers. <laughs> so all three of us have the middle name of Matthew. Yeah, it sounds like uh, George Foreman there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Gene, what's your middle name? Yeah, well, God. she'd get angry at us. She'd go, Curtis, Darren, and then she'd say the dog's name, and it'd be me. You know, Curtis, Darren, uh, uh, Fluffy, uh, you know, and she'd be wanting to lay out. And I'd say, you know, Mom, it'd just be a lot easier if you'd all call us by our middle name. 
And she said, you know, um, if I was if I was asking, I I might have asked you that, but I'm not. So why don't you get out of the way of my of my rolling pin? <laughs> well, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, his childhood, he went even then he went out of his way to uh, kind of deny the fact that he was a rich kid. You know, he right he he did all the things that uh, the other kids, street kids, would do. They spent some time in Europe. He came back with a French accent, and immediately uh-huh. the kids in Brooklyn, you know, Bronx or wherever it is, you know, they're going, "Oh, what's this guy?" You know, of course he had to whip a couple of them and and start yeah. talking with a Bronx accent. But that was his, that was his whole mo. His whole life was really. You talk about it. That, you know, that's his experience as an actor growing up. He was playing yeah, playing he, a part all his life. Well, he I, was. Uh, he was very enthusiastic about serving during World War II also. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he'd gotten what, you know, many would consider, you know, a huge acting break, you know, when he was hired from the mailroom there at 20th Century Fox, which he thought was just, you know, kind of a summer job, riding a bicycle around the mm-hmm. studio lot and talking to girls. And they they spotted him there, and a lot of the actors at the studio had already gone off to war. So they were looking for this fresh-faced kid to play the, the character of... Um, chicken you know in guadalcanal diary and they saw jaco on the lot and said well this you know right here's our kid and they screen tested him and like you mentioned bunker is they had to get his mother's okay and actually have her talk him into it and he thought it was all a lark you know he yeah mgm was offering him a contract 20th century fox was offering him seven years and he wanted to go into the navy or the merchant marine which is where he eventually went Mm -hmm. because he wanted to sail around the world and that's what he did. So a lot, a lot of his character actor experience came, I believe, from his military service. Right. Well, you know, he, he reminds me of Sterling Hayden in that sense. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you'd rather be out on the sea than on the soundstage. Yeah. Uh, Old guard as well. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's another great story about him. You know, you know, here's the, here he is with his family with the, the money. And he can get any kind of allowance he wants. He goes to his mom and he says, I want 50 cents a week. And right. his mom goes, oh, okay, you can have more. You know, I want 50 cents a week. After a while, he found out all his buddies were getting $2 a week, so he went to his mom and asked for a raise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, it's, yeah t- it's time to take our first commercial break here. Our topic today is uh, man of character, Hollywood's man of character. That would be Richard Jekyll, and uh, Gene Fries is our guest. He's written a book. As a matter of fact, it's called Hollywood's Man of Character, Richard Jekyll. So get it on Amazon. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, David Layton in the studio with us. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We will be back with much more right after these very, very, very important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. couple of measures get going there before we do anything further. Stage coach going well. It is. Welcome back to Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. David Layton in the studio. On the horn with us is our guest, Gene Freeze. We are talking about character actor Richard Jekyll. Richard Jekyll. You know, I want to just run through something here. Combat cowards, heavies, spinacious heroes, misguided youth, reluctant uh, romantic parts, western types, he covered it all. Gene, did he have a favorite uh, movie? Um, you know, his favorite genre was westerns. Mm-hmm. So um, off the top of my head, I don't know that he had a single favorite movie, but there are definitely some that he, you know enjoy doing and i uh, i know he always referred to uh sands of iwo jima as being one of his favorites yeah, yeah. and that john wayne had a big influence on him as an actor and his professionalism going forward because you know wayne was always on the set early in the morning and took a liking to jekyll actually wayne had known jekyll before ever casting him in that movie because jekyll was a lifeguard at the hollywood athletic club right where uh, Wayne and Ward Bond and Errol Flynn would have their drinks there in the, you know, the 30s and 40s. <laughs> so they knew him as the the young lifeguard kid, and they always kind of considered him to be the kid. And 20 years after Santa Iwo Jima, they did uh, Chisholm together. Yeah. As well. And uh, Force Tucker was in both films. John Agar was in both films, and they did kind of a group photo of the four of them. From uh, you know, the 1948, 1949 when they did Sands of Iwo Jima, and 69, 70 when they did Chisholm, and everyone had aged but Jekyll. He still looked the same. <laughs> yeah. That must have pissed off everybody else in that picture. Yeah. They're just jealous. <laughs> well, well he, he must have he must have enjoyed doing uh, Ozana's raid because Bunker was in that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The first time I saw him on that, they were, they were doing the scene. Uh, the baseball scene. He's catching. Uh, uh-huh. John Davidson is uh, um, is umpiring, and uh, you know you, you're right. You know it was like I saw him, and it was like it was like seeing him in Guadalcanal Cal, uh, uh, Diary or Iwo uh-huh. Jima. He was the same guy. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm just thinking here. What was I thinking? I don't know. Well, I Dangerous I thing. Oh, I, I know what I was thinking about. I was thinking about... Smell the smoke. Way- I smell the smoke coming out of there. <laughs> no, that's the sawdust. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, the cobwebs. Watch out for a cattle stampede. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to try to jump into the future here a little bit because, you know, we talk about his talent. He was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor for uh, Sometimes a Great Notion. And the consensus mm-hmm. is, you know, here he is. He's working with uh, Paul Newman, who directed it, and Henry Fonda, who's playing the father. And everybody that reviewed it said he was the, the best thing. I and mean, some said he was the only thing that was good about in that, the movie. In that movie yeah. 
Right. Yeah, that's that was from the Ken Kesey novel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sometimes a great notion. And that actually probably was Jaco's favorite film. And a lot of that was because of the location. Yeah. They were up in um, Oregon along the coast there. And it just one of those films where it came together, the, the cast and crew became a big family, you know, and the locals all blended together. And it was, you know, just one of those magical times. And Jaco did get an Oscar nomination from it. A lot of that was because of uh, his his death scene in the film where he's trapped under a yes. log and Paul Newman's trying to you know give him resuscitation and keep him alive as the, the water keeps rising you know and Jekyll's aware of the situation but tries to you know kind of you know pawn it off as you know being nothing uh, too dire and when it is and he, the two of them really handled that scene well and, that was you a know, beautiful scene anyone who's seen it yeah well, you remembers know. it <laughs> It's, well, it's his laughing that kills him. Right. Yeah. Because he yeah, can't he hold his breath. And, yeah, because uh, he says that if the old man, you know, meaning Henry Fonda, saw the two of them, you know, doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, you know, they'd, you know, he'd have he'd have a fit. Yeah. You know, and Jacob laughs, and you know, he swallows water when that happens. Yeah. So. Well, you know, they that that was up, you know, the, like you said, the Central Coast near Newport, the Toledo, and yeah. what beautiful, beautiful country. In fact, this is something that you might you might know. I know Hal Needham was up there and worked on it, uh, and mm-hmm. I'm figuring he was probably doubling Jacob. Plus, plus Needham was you know he was an experienced logger, a topper, mm-hmm. and and I and, you know I I I just I'm, I'm always curious about that that well, connection between those guys. You know, yeah, because especially when you're doubling somebody, you a lot of times you get to know them really well and. Needham yeah, and, a lot and of Jacob would would liked each other. I know. Yeah, a lot of times it was um, Ronnie Rondell who yeah. doubled Jake. You know, and a lot of the stuff from the '60s, and they were surfing buddies too. Yeah, yeah. Rondell was a big, big uh, scuba diver. In fact, he did a lot of movies yeah. that he would be their consultant and the safety guy on them. Scuba. Yeah, there was a. Um, you know, Jacob was such a good guy in the water, though. Yeah. A lot of times he could do his own stuff out there. And there was a, he did a low-budget movie down in Florida called uh, Mako Jaws of Death. And the <laughs> yeah, guy I remember that, was, that. Yeah, the guy that was going to double him was Monty Cox. And the coordinator down there was a big scuba guy you know, uh, named John McLaughlin. And he called up Monty Cox and said, you know, you don't have to come down. He said, Jekyll's doing everything. He's swimming <laughs> with the sharks. He's fearless, you know. <laughs> and... But that that did fit what you know Jacob was comfortable doing was you know mm-hmm. being a, a waterman you know the surfing and the diving. He has more than uh, what near, nearly two hundred film credits, right? Oh yeah, one hundred ninety three. One hundred ninety three, mm-hmm. and six decades of film work. That's a yeah, lots, long work. Lots of war films, lots of westerns. He did pretty much all the all the western shows on TV. Gunsmoke multiple times. Mm-hmm. Bonanza, Wild Wild West. He's on wagon train, Virginian, tall man, and he, you know, I, yeah, you can't talk about him without mentioning that, you know, his marriage. He was married to Annette, Antoinette uh, Marches, and that was one of the long Hollywood marriages. You know, the, the thing right. that never happens, it happened. Yeah, and his son was a pro golfer. One of his sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah Barry. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing that uh, uh, he stayed married for well until his death. Yeah, forty-seven, yeah. I think. Like I said, he was he was just a very um dependable dependable guy. Um I, I actually have developed a friendship, you know, through doing the book with a man named Gary Armstrong in Boston, who was a broadcast journalist there for over thirty years on channel seven. Uh-huh. He interviewed Jekyll in the early seventies and they went out for lunch and drinks after the interview and Gary uh, he interviewed politicians, athletes celebrities. He interviewed John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, Charlton Heston, Gregory Peck, just everyone you could think of. And, and he told me, you know, I think Richard Jekyll was the nicest celebrity I ever met. You know, yeah. just what a down-to-earth, you know, honest guy he was. You know, yeah, that's, that's interesting because uh, over the course of my career, I have interviewed countless people, numbers, uh, mm-hmm. countless numbers of people, and uh, lots of them in, in you know, uh, big political types, uh, uh, 
made it up to the vice president of the United States uh, doing an interview. And uh-huh. you get somebody like a Jekyll, and, I mean, that makes it feel like you're doing the right thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, instead yeah. of... Uh, because you can talk to the person without yeah. fear, you know, retribution or anything like that. <clears throat> One of my best ones was uh, George Will, columnist George Will. I knew mm-hmm. he was a Cub fan, I'm a Cub fan, and that's all we did when we did the interview was talk Cubs. That's we didn't talk about politics. The fun ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, you know, there's, there's a thing here, too. There's a quote by him, which he did early on in his career, because as you mentioned, uh, when he first started after Guadalcanal, he was the hot kid in all of the movie magazines. You know, they, right. they were one run out after another. But he was quoted in one of them, and I love the quote, I'd rather be a spoiled child than a spoiled adult. <laughs> I like the uh, shortest film appearance of uh, Richard Jekyll, um, and that was uh, uh, The Gunfighter. Uh, yeah. Gregory Peck's what an character kills. A, which, he gets killed in the opening scene. Right, and which, as, as short as that role was, you know, it kind of became a, a familiar Western trope of the yeah, young yes. gunfighter wannabe. Yes. Who yes. takes on, you know, the, the top gun. Yes. And the role Jekyll repeated numerous times, you know, in TV westerns and, you know. And it sets know, up the whole premise of the movie, you know, with Skip Homer at the end. Right. And it, mm-hmm. without that opening scene in him. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a there's a great movie. It's, I think it's classic. It's just the cast in it, the performances. Yeah. Our topic is, uh, is uh, character actor Richard Jekyll. Gene Freeze is our guest. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, Gene's written a book called uh, uh, about Richard Jekyll. It's called uh, Hollywood's Man of Character. we got to take our next commercial break here, so we're going to do that. Todd Roberts, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and David Layton in the studio with us. We'll be back right after these important messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. With the fall and the coming of cooler weather, Tucson Trap and Skeet now institutes our fall hours. Office hours are Wednesday through Sunday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And automated fields are open daily from 7 a.m. until dusk. So come out and shoot from one of our 50 trap fields, 13 skeet fields, or five international bunkers. Visit TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com for all of our upcoming events or call 883-6426. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as AMC stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zouts podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zouts. 
Until then, that's a wrap. I got witnesses right here to prove that Wilton murdered Fred Wynn. That's right, I heard him say so. Did you? Oh, and by the way, Sheriff, I got Ware inside. You might as well take him along, too. I got a signed confession that he framed my father into the asylum. So you see, boys, all it takes is a little frontier justice. Good day. This is the Voices of the West. back on Emil Francis, Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, David Layton in the studio with us. Our guest is Gene Fries, author of Hollywood's Man of Character, Richard Jekyll. And I just love that little uh, drop there by uh, by the Hooter uh, on Frontier uh, Justice. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I don't know if this has anything to do with uh, the way he grew up, but he was, you know, Jekyll was a Boy Scout, and as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, Superman and Dick Tracy comics were among his favorite. I love Dick Tracy comics. Uh-huh. They're great. Well, uh-huh. I don't know what that has to do with anything. And also, he was a big fan of Bella Lugosi and Lon Chaney. Yeah. Yeah. I and, think there's something almost uh, kind of old-fashioned about Jekyll, mm-hmm. which is kind of unique and when we mentioned the gunfighter, when he gets shot by Gregory Peck, yeah, I don't know how many times Jekyll got belly shot in movies. <laughs> he would always clutch, clutch his belly and fall forward or fall backward, but they were always, always bloodless. You know, you never saw like a squib shot or anything, and it it always kind of gave a sense that they were, you know, kids having fun, you mm-hmm. know, playing cowboys and Indians or so. Yeah. Well, he was so tough, the bullet just not really knocked the air out of him. He never died. <laughs> Like Chuck Norris. Yeah. You know, and. Oh, go ahead. Jekyll never. It's, that's not something that he ever really <laughs> overemphasized was his physique in films outside of uh, Comeback Little Sheba, where he played a track star and was kind of shirtless or in a muscle shirt quite a bit through that. Yeah, the job. I remember seeing him back in the 60s or 70s on TV shows and, you know, never, never really realizing how how buff and muscular he was mm-hmm. until there was a, a maybe it might have been a episode of the rebel with nick adams where he had was in cut off sleeves yeah. and he had some really you know rugged arms oh he yeah was actually quite a quite an arm wrestler too for, there's a, know, one of the size. stills from guadalcanal uh you see his arms and and i mean he had you know you knew he worked with waist because he had the biceps of a bodybuilder yeah, but yeah, and a lot of confirmation. Yeah, the, a lot of the uh, actually a few of the guys that doubled him early on or stood in for him were were well known bodybuilders back from Muscle Beach. A guy named Zabel Kazuski, another guy named Brad Harris, and I, I was able to speak to Brad Harris, and he had you know nothing but great things to say about Jaco. He knew him for you know thirty five years, I believe. It worked out together, and every, everyone in the you know, the physical fitness community really thought highly of Jaco because they considered him to be kind of one of their own, same way the surfers did. And one of the ones that kind of overcame, you know, the the stigma of, you know, muscle guys being, you know, not smart mm-hmm. or, you know, not, you know, not capable of being, you know, actors. They can't scratch their nose, yeah. Yeah. Well, you and know, it, there's... Uh, he he he's oh I know what I was going to say you know I used to run into him all the time out there because uh, uh-huh. he had a, a kind of a side job going around to the health food stores and uh, the gyms you know representing different products and stuff yeah and I would run into him or uh, Franco Colombo all the time and, yeah and it was funny because at one time I was in the one one store that I bought a lot of my supplements. And I was talking with Colombo, and I asked I asked him, I said, because he'd work in pictures, too. I said, you ever work with uh, with Jekyll? And he says, mm-hmm. he says, no, I never worked with him, but he says, I know him well. He says, we worked out together. He says, he's he's a great guy. You know, I should play the way he said, he's a great guy. You know, he's got yeah. heavy German <laughs> accent. 
But uh, and the last time I ever saw Jacob was in a new gym had just opened up around Tarzana, and I'd gone over to check it out, and I'm and I'm going out the door as he's coming in, and we stopped and talked for about five minutes, and he that's how I found out he was doing all the representing work stuff. But yeah, he was there to push some products. Yeah, he was he was a good friend of a guy named Clark Hatch, who who was probably behind that gym. So yeah, and he. Clark Hatch had, you know, several gyms in Hawaii, and Jacob would go and, you know, as as his friend promote for him. So. Yeah, he did a lot of that. He, well, you know, this is an interesting thing. I thought it was another quote of his. I've always figured actors were for the birds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, a, a lot of his friends were the guys from the beach, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the guys that were the stunt guys. Paul Stater and guys like that from the, the mm-hmm. 50s who were water guys, you know, originally. Well, you so know, the, I think there's an interesting thing here going back to his military days. Uh, shortly before he was discharged, he served on a steam vessel called the Wolf Creek. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking, you know, at that time to serve on a steam vessel, that's almost like being on a wooden ship at Midway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it, if any of you remember a character actor named William Phipps. Yeah, did a, did a lot of westerns, and he was in The Violent Men, which was a Glenn Ford film with where Jaco played a really bad guy and got belly shot in it, and the yeah. confrontation scene there with Glenn Ford. But earlier, the the reason Glenn Ford, who was who was a kind of retired gunman, and Jaco didn't didn't know that going in was upset with Jaco was because he had shot William Phipps. And I kind of tracked down William Phipps thinking that he was probably one of the last surviving members of this film that was made in, you know, the 1954 and 1955. I wrote a letter to him. I, I knew he was in his 90s and never heard anything back, which, you know, about a year had surpassed. And I was kind of finishing up the book, and I got a phone call. And surprisingly, it was William Phipps. Oh. And he said, I've, I've got your letter here. William Phipps had done the voice and was the animation model for Prince Charming in Cinderella. <laughs> wow. and, and he, he said, I'm, at the time, he said, I'm 90, 92 years old. And he said, I've got, uh, he said, I still get a ton of uh, fan mail for being Prince Charming. He said, I, it, it stacks up. He says, I try to answer it. But he says, you know, I had, you know, a good pile there about six inches high on my desk he says i started going through them he goes and i found your letter about writing a book on richard jekyll and he says not only did richard jekyll kill me in the violent men he said but we served together when i was in the navy he said and um yeah. jekyll was a merchant marine we were buddies on the same ship uh the momactern they were diving buddies he said we were on that same ship for like six months together you know in 1943 and what are the odds of that yeah you know? small world well, you know, yeah. you mentioned Violet Men. Uh, you know, they, they shot part of that here in Tucson and also up in Lone Pine. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, uh, according to some sources here, it suggests that uh, Jekyll's most famous film appearances of the 1950s are in 310 to Yuma from 57 and uh, war movie The Naked and the Dead from 58. Would you concur with yeah. that, Gene? He's in all yeah, the three- war movies. Yeah. 310 to Yuma is a great role for him as sort of Glenn Ford's loyal subordinate. And it's, uh, you know, Glenn Ford plays a charismatic bad guy in it to, you know, Van Heflin's farmer who's trying to bring him in. And Jekyll's trying to rescue Glenn Ford. And you, you really kind of you know, develop a sense of admiration for Jekyll's loyalty, you know, by the way that he plays it, kind of with that, you know, Winning Jekyll smile, mm-hmm. but he's a bad dude. You know, he, oh, he, he is. shoots the, the old character actor Henry Jones in the back. You know, towards the end of the film, you realize you know how how despicable he is. And, you know, Jekyll was able to pull that off. You know, not everyone could. And everybody remembers Jekyll's death scene in that movie as well. Yeah, they film that down in Elgin. Yeah, chasing the train. Yeah, yep. <clears throat> and uh, I don't think we mentioned it yet, but probably one of Jekyll's best-known roles came later there in the Dirty Dozen, where he yep, played yeah. the MP to, to yep. Lee Marvin. Yeah, the sergeant. 
And then the sequel, too. Yeah, yeah he reprised that. Yep. That's a great role. <laughs> a Which, great movie, <laughs> man. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yep. the sequel they made 20 years later in 1985, yeah. and uh, Jake will fit into the same uniform again. He looked exactly the same. God. It was like yeah. it's just uh-huh. it's supposed to be within the same year. He's the only one that looks like it's the same year. Yeah, and Lee Marvin had aged considerably. It was a hard war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he got five campaign ribbons from his service in the Merchant Marine, yeah. which means yeah. that he, which means he was in some squeaky spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not everyone realizes that the Merchant Marine suffered a lot of casualties, you know, in World War II. They and had the highest uh, casualty count of any branch of the service. They did not have right. much in the way of armament. <laughs> well, you know, that, yeah. but you know, they were all you know they were serving on raiders yeah. and stuff like that, and they were, you know. The, Everybody, both sides love to sink freighters. Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a, here's another quote, and I think this this is really mm-hmm. this is my favorite because it really touches on his character, and this is it was on on his being diagnosed with melanoma cancer. I know people are praying for me to beat this thing, but have them have a glass at the bar for me. And let it go at that. Mm. That just that yeah. shows it. That, what a perfect description of his attitude. Yeah, he's he's a very stoic guy. He ended up um, in the Motion Picture Academy uh, hospital there, mm-hmm. which um, his his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's uh, shortly before he got cancer, and it really kind of wiped them both out. You know, the family out, and unfortunately for. 50 years in Hollywood, you know, as a top-line character actor with lots of ups and downs. I mean, he, he worked steadily, but he, that was one of the things that I found interesting, too, was he also had to go to the unemployment office from time to time, yeah. you know, where he had more than a month or two in between work. And, you know, he, he was very much a family man dedicated to, you know, his wife and his two sons. And, you know, he was a little league coach to them. And, you know, it's very, felt very much like, you know, when he had an acting role that came along or an offer that he needed to, needed to take it, you know, that it, he shouldn't let it go by, even if it was a low-budget film. What do you he know? to provide for the family. What do you know about the Mighty O? That, that was a pilot, and I think that it was actually filmed in the mid-50s, but not shown until the early 60s. 62, yeah. It was, uh, it had to do with the sea and was it a Navy or or Merchant Marine outfit. I'm trying to remember who was the, the lead in that. Well, he was one of Jaco the leads. Jaco was one of the, the sailors. Yeah. Yeah. Jaco had a... Jaco did another pilot, too, in the early 60s that never aired, and it was called King Surf, where he was a surfer. Oh. He would have had the lead in that, but I, I don't know if it, they decided it was too hard to try to shoot on the ocean all the time or, <laughs> or what, but... The, you know, he had, the, the Hollywood tank was in use. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, they, uh, I know that just before he died, he was offered a uh, a lead in an animated thing to do, and he wanted he wanted to do it, but he just he didn't he didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, it was a, it was a Joe Dante's movie, Small Soldiers, where yeah. they kind of grouped all the old Dirty Dozen actors that were still around together as the voices. So for these perfect. toy figures. Yeah. All right, we got to do our final commercial break here. We're talking with uh, Gene Freeze, author of um, Hollywood's Man of Character, and that is uh, Richard Jekyll. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. David Layton's in the studio with uh, Bunker to France and myself, Harry Alexander. We will be back with much more right after these very important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda, 
that's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Ms. Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. It's a Saturday. For what is us, that is uh, from my uh, uh, license uh, licensing music. Uh, oh, it's your place. freebie. Well, it's not free. Oh, it's not I free. I got to pay for. It. And it's one of those ones you play on me, and you don't. And, and I, I have no idea what the to- title is. I don't know. I could look it up, but it, we'd be off the air by then. <laughs> well, speaking of no ideas, I want I want I, I want to thank Carla Martin for the use of her com- computer for uh, helping me all my material yes. for the show. And also thank Gene for his book. Yes. Uh, for all the uh, material. Sure, Bunker. We are talking about uh, character actor Richard Jekyll with Gene Fries, and uh, uh, he's written the book um, Hollywood's Man of Character, and that is Richard Jekyll. Character actors, they're, they're all over the place. How, how do you know it's a character actor? You see him all over the place, right? And... <laughs> And I'm serious. You see them in movies, and you can't think of who the... And who, in the supermarket? Who, well, maybe it's the supermarket. You can't think of who the hell that person is. You know that person. I know him, but I don't know. I can't know. think of his name. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that uh, that's the mark of a good character. Is that the guy who's been messing around with my wife? Uh-huh. Or is that the guy on TV? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that was the other guy. Yeah. He's a reporter. <laughs> oh, a reporter. Uh-oh. That's the mark of a good character actor. Well, we, we, can't, we can't not mention... 1992 Golden Boot Award because in right. in the right. Western movie community, uh, that's that's bigger than that's an big Oscar. Big doings, big doings. Yeah. It's, yep. Uh, also, I'd, I'd like to mention that he did a Stories of the Century with Jim Davis. Yes. yes. Around 1954, where Jekyll played Billy the Kid, and it's almost a, perfect casting. That's a series that, man. If you can find those on YouTube or elsewhere. Those are really, really good, yeah. I, I think. Uh, and guess what the name of that episode was? Tell us, Gene. I believe it was Billy the Kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> season ah. two, ep- season one, episode two. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, Jaco was also hired for uh, the Sam Peckinpah film in the early 70s, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Yeah. And he, he plays the sheriff that James Coburn recruits towards the end of the picture to go and have a showdown with the kid played by Chris Christopherson and you know Jekyll thinks that you know he's probably going to get killed in it but you know again out of a small part but he he brings a real strong you know sense of character to it because you know he feels like you know he owes James Coburn to go with him mm-hmm. and 
Coburn holds him to it. You know, it's a, it's yes. a good, good part. Yes, Sheriff Kip McKinley. Right. And then, and, but he's not done with Billy the Kid. He does the tall man. Place yeah. Of Denver. With the grudge fight episode, which was one of the yeah. one of the really good yes. tall men. Yes. Hey, yeah. That, he and Clue, that's another series that is really good, I think. <laughs> yeah. He and he and Clue Gulliger go up in the mountains there to, you know, shoot it out with one another, and it almost seems to be more sport than it is. But Jacob takes a ricochet shot in his leg and gets Dane Green and ends up dying up there and you know Clue Gulliger's arms. They um. I, I got to speak to Clue Gulliger about that, and he oh. says it was one of the most memorable scenes, you know, they did on the show. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he thought very highly of Jake Oz, as did most everyone who worked with him. Uh, that that goes on to like Robert Fuller, James Drury, all those guys, L.Q. Jones. He died uh, in a lot of people's arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's so cuddly. Well, you know, it's, it was a great, great episode because the whole concept was that you know him and him and Billy. They were they start from razzing each other to fighting to the point where they're ready to shoot each other. And Garrett tells them, you know, get out of town, go Don't different directions. And if either one of you comes back and the, the other, other one's was dead, dead, I'm going to hang you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just and then, but they end up, you know, and it, it's great to see their Billy the Luliger goes, you know, well, I got you. He says, no, you didn't. It was a ricochet. He says, got you is when you put a hole in them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, going back to the film The Gunfighter, you know, we all know how how professional he was and how present he was, and he always brought it. Mm-hmm. I think in that film, you see how good his acting is, and the reason I use that as an example is because of the point that is overlooked, which is, it's obvious when you think about it, but you don't think about it because his acting's so good, he doesn't let you go there. The size difference between he and Gregory Peck is immense. Jack uh-huh. is, what is he, 5'6", five, 5'7"? Five, uh, uh, they, they usually say 5'7", and actually I saw his military records. And I don't know how Jacob did it, but he's listed as five nine and a half for his. <laughs> okay, so he's five six or five seven. If you've ever gone right. through boot camp, and you can figure it out because it's such it's such a panic, and so and confusing. Pack, pack, and Pack <laughs> is um, he's a, I'm six one, and I know he's taller than me. He's probably yeah. He's probably six three. Mm-hmm. So you got he's at six three, Jekyll's at six five six, and right. you never really notice the um, uh, size difference mm-hmm. because anybody else should be thinking, what is this midget um, trying to take on, yeah. you know, um, this giant of a person, giant mm-hmm. of a man, but it also brings home the point of Samuel Colt. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Samuel, uh, God made, God made men, but Samuel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, God equal. made men, Samuel Colt made them even. And I think that that's a, he embodies both of those characters in, in, in those thought processes there. You never think about how short he is. Um, yeah, yeah. You do think, and uh, it's not a knock against the guy who kills him. Um, in in the movie uh, uh, at the end, um, Gregory Peck. But you mm-hmm. always look at him, that character, as this kid's too slick. He's way outclassed. But the Jacob mm-hmm. character, he believes he could take it. Yeah, he really. You know, he's he he didn't go into that fight for suicide. Right. He always, always had that kind of cocky strut to him when he played the bad guy. Yeah. And, uh, boy, he really, he, he is able to convey that in a great way. We are rough, rapidly coming uh, to the end of the program. Oh, well, tell us what you're up to, Jay. Quickly. Oh, none. <laughs> not nothing. much the rest nothing. of the night. Nothing. <laughs> we'll start writing the book, darn oh. it. <laughs> yeah, still Arizona locations, Western locations. Oh, so we're working on that. 
Excellent. Gene, author Gene Freeze, thank you much for joining us this thank afternoon. Thank you so much. Oh, you're, you're welcome, guys. Appreciate Thanks it. for having me. Todd, thank you so much for joining us. David, thank you. Thank so you, much. Harry. Thank you, Bunker. Thank you, Gene. Uh, David, yeah, we couldn't Todd. have done it without your input. That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, until next time, <laughs> that'll be it for this edition of Abel Francie's Voices of the West. Uh, 78, 79, 80 And so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 